Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Welcome to the show, coffee, well, cafes for you today. I'm sure that you all have your favourite cafe or coffee stop wherever you cycle in the world. And I suppose they've become what other sports would call the clubhouse for the cycling community, synonymous and often the heartbeat of the local community. I'd actually love to find out where your local cafe stop is, particularly if it's significant part of the local cycling community. So please do drop us an email or send us a message on social media or drop us a message on the hub to let us know what your favorite coffee stop is. Be really keen to build a, a global map of fantastic coffee shops around the world that are cycling friendly, I suppose. Anyway, talking of which, today I'm speaking to Ed Lockie Bayen. Ed is one of three founders of Four Boroughs, which is a cafe in South London that has become synonymous with the London cycling community, a big supporter of the local racing. And the chat today is really their journey from being a complete startup to being an integral part of the community. But not only that, they all took very bold and brave decisions to step away from the corporate rat race. So we discuss making that move, some of the challenges, some of the things they've learned. We talk bike riding, we talk coffee, of course, kombucha, beer, some brands they work with, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, let me bring you Ed. Ed, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Jules. Thank you very much for joining me. I was very keen to get you on the pod. And really, I think for every cyclist listening and around the world, obviously, coffee is at the heart of the community. And was keen to hear about your journey in terms of how you set the cafe up and, and go from there. How did it all start for you? What's your, what's your background? Background is a bit of a varied one, actually. So really, I came, came to cycling, road cycling, quite late uh, in life. I, I grew up as a mountain biker, living near Canic Chase, um, and never really thought much about the road bike other than watching uh, the Tour de France. Yeah. But uh, in 2012, when road cycling was sweeping the nation, uh, a very good friend of mine from home, Ben Lane, who's also a part owner of the cafe now, got into road, road cycling and got me hooked too. And essentially, I just fell in love with with road cycling and it doesn't take long once you once you fall in love with road cycling to start looking back at the, the photographs from the previous eras and you can't help but see the, the black and white photos of glamorous pros with their uh, pre-race espressos and uh, coffee company sponsorships all over their woolen jerseys and i think just the you know fell in love with the the beauty of cycling and and coffee and the fact that you know when, when i was going on a club run in 2012 and you know, spending all day on the bike and having an espresso, I was feeling essentially the same thing as those people from every decade before had felt, you know, it's just a great way to, to tune into something that, that hasn't really changed much for years and years and years. And that was, that was just, that was a great thing for me. I absolutely love that. Yeah, um, it's funny, isn't it? It's, I hadn't really thought about the historical relationship with coffee and cycling. And um, obviously it's, it, it's a prominent relationship now, but I wonder if that comes from Central Europe or particularly Italy, Italy cafe culture, maybe. Yeah, I, th I think one of the things for me was um, when I became a became a cyclist, I stopped you know going out to to pubs and bars on a Friday evening because I wanted to be in bed so I could get up earlier than I was getting up for work in the week. But of course, that means you're you're not going out, you're not seeing your friends, so you start to kind of you start to to distance yourself from that. Uh, and the cafe culture actually becomes a a thing. You know, it's like oh, this is where I now hang out with with my friends. This is where we we pass the time kind of thing. And it was always good to do that with. Uh, with a good coffee compared to a bad coffee so you know you, you very quickly start being selective about which which cafes you go to but absolutely yeah. like once i started cycling and you know wasn't going out really anymore the, the cafe culture just 
hit me and i was like oh, right okay I, I get it i get why you see you know black and white cafes in cycling photos and white coffee companies are all over the jerseys it was like yeah these two go together really well and uh go hand in hand right yeah you time, swap yeah. For, for a lot of cyclists they take it up in their 30s sort of swapping swapping five hours with your mates on a friday night over beers with five hours with your mates um on the bike then coffee in the mornings on a saturday morning is a it's a it's a pretty good trade i think i wish i'd uh, also come across it a little bit earlier in life but hey <laughs> yeah so so th- talk us through four boroughs we'll come on to the, the the cafe and where you're at at the moment and what you do there and the coffee that you do but Tell us the journey. How did how did setting a, a cafe up come about? So um, it was it was one of those things where I was in various jobs after university, and I always thought they were the jobs that I should do rather than the jobs that I wanted to do. Interesting. Um, Are we allowed to, to find out what, what what kind of industry? Yeah. Well, I'd been a secondary school science teacher, and I'd been okay. a, a management consultant, essentially. Okay. With a, a, project manager yeah and they were both jobs that I thought I, I should do uh, and it wasn't until I got to my late 20s early 30s that I started to think about you know what is it that I actually want to do and you always end up I found that I always ended up again like what do I want to do well I know what I want to do but I have to find the job that I think I should be doing to achieve that so I was always kind of looking for professional jobs but I would kind of change the change the industry or change the subject matter if you will but they're always kind of those those types of jobs you know formal applications going back to university to retrain all that sort of stuff yeah do, do you feel that you're kind of sh- trying to shoehorn yourself into a career that you thought you should have done and I, I caught up with Yanto Barker last week I asked mm. him the same question do you feel growing up that there if you look back now that you always had a bit of entrepreneurialism to you and that became more obvious when you you did set up the cafe i think i think it must have been yeah i think there's um i think just the nature of changing jobs and being prepared to start again after you've invested a number of years in a a graduate scheme or you know a a particular ladder does show a kind of searching for searching for something and i think that's essentially entrepreneurism you know when you turn that into your own thing and you stop trying to find it from somebody else it's no longer kind of switching jobs it's it's becoming an entrepreneur so i think that's was well, gutsy, gutsy as well, happened. right? It's, it's a gutsy. Uh, yeah. I think there's so many people out there that that would love to make a big bold change mm. in career, and I'm sure, given lockdown at the moment, I'm sure people having some time at home, sort of reassessing priorities and and what's important, what they want to be doing. Yeah, I think um, one, of, one of the things that happened was that I I read a couple of books basically, and one of the books was about diet. It was a book called The Diet Myth by Tim Spector, and he really set about unpicking what what truly healthy food is and it wasn't until I'd read that I mean I'd always you know been a cyclist I'd always been a a calorie counter and all of this sort of stuff and I was always hungry and you know basically trying to lose weight and it wasn't until I read this book by Tim Spector that I realized what I've been doing was was wrong and that I needed to eat uh, and kind of think about food in a different way that I basically stopped being hungry stopped calorie counting lost weight was healthier and it was the kind of thing that other people didn't know and I found myself in my old jobs you know always being the one when we were having lunch giving advice about food and I kind of started thinking oh there's, there's actually there's something there's something here you know like you, you, you go out on the, the high street and you try and find a healthy healthy lunch and actually it's it's really really difficult easier yeah, um, yeah. so like everyone's trying to sell you something 
sweet or tasty because of course that's what keeps you going back but actually just when you want to find healthy food convenient on the, on the high street it was very hard so that was I, I i have to say it i i I was obviously I've only just got back to London having been away for a decade and I've been quite surprised at just how hard it is in London particularly to I thought there'd be more options Mm. uh, or healthy options or just more of uh, awareness or consciousness around particularly sort of lunches and stuff like that and so that's something I definitely noticed and coming back to the UK yeah so we so I started to think actually there is a there's a space here for a, a food business that that can do something quite simple but but quite unique. And then the second book that I read was one called Stuffication, uh, and this was a recommendation from Tom, my now business partner. Um, and this book by James Warman was all about how you can basically live more and be happy with with less, so with earning less money. And um, I just missed the name of it. The name of that book. What was it called? Stuffication. So like uh, suffocation, but with stuff. And this was a book all about how you know. So many of us are in jobs trying to earn a certain salary so that we can buy stuff to make us happy. And that cycle just never ends, basically. Whereas actually, if we start to value other stuff, we can probably be much happier earning less. And Yes, the more you earn, the more you spend, but the gratification doesn't increase. There's no correlation. And it never stops, yeah. You know, it never stops. So basically, that book just allowed me to think, you know what, I'm in this job at the moment because I think the salary is going to be good in the future. But... Why don't I just try and seek out happiness now? And actually, I was already happy. It's like a pyramid scheme, isn't it? <laughs> completely, completely. Yeah. And yeah. I realised because I was a cyclist, I was actually happy already. Like I didn't want to be travelling with work, trying to gain promotion. I wanted to stay at home so I could train and ride my bike. Ride your bike. Yeah, yeah exactly. And now you know. you've got a young family as well. Yeah, much, exactly. much more important. And once um, got okay, a- so we'll, we will make sure we put the the links to both those books in the show notes. Yeah. You mentioned uh, your business partner, Tom, and, and you mentioned Ben as well earlier. So the three of you are obviously all cyclists and had this eureka moment to to set up a cafe. Or How did that come about? Yeah, so me and Tom, I've known Ben all my life. We, li- we lived next door to each other growing up. But once I moved down to London and various after university jobs and all that sort of stuff for both of us, we, we saw less of each other. But when I moved down to London, I met Tom because we were on the uh, Brixton Cycles new joiner ride together and we we hit it off basically so we we became riding buddies from kind of 2015 onwards and Tom was somebody who you know thinks a lot reads a lot uh, and he'd always had this plan basically he worked in in finance he'd always had this plan to basically squirrel away his money invest his money um, so that one day he could leave his you know typically boring traditional job and and do something that he enjoyed and and at that mm-hmm. time and it still is is you know making coffee and being surrounded by the cycling world so he'd he'd mentioned this this to me and at that time I was you know I was as keen as ever on cycling but I was still very much in my project manager job I was still very much on the, the career path and the, the career ladder but as I say when he when he gave me the the book stuffication and I also read the other book the diet myth I started to think do you know what I could I could be happier with with less money actually and I've kind of got this idea about this unique food business that that could go somewhere so I was out one evening uh having a half and just sent a text to Tom saying you know if you if you if you're serious about doing this kind of cafe brew pub vegan food place then I'm I'm doing it and he said yep let's let's do it what's the next step well, so it was literally you literally having a drink. It was I thought it was going to be sort of a slow creep to finally <laughs> persuade yourself to do it. You're having a beer and decided, right, let's do this. That that's fantastic. 
exactly so we we basically scoured the the uh, the internet for some properties and we knew we wanted to do it in crystal palace because when you live in london certainly south of the river you're going to be coming through crystal palace most weekends because it's the kind of start and finish of every club run we knew that you know we were cyclists and therefore if you want a kind of cycling customer base crystal palace is basically the place that you want to be so we crystal palace is uh it's high up on a on a hill basically southeast london is surrounded by a, a ridge and so anyone going out into kent or surrey has basically got to climb up this ridge there's a load of cafes on top of the the um the ridge and crystal palace has got three high streets that make up a triangle and there's there's various cafes on that that triangle and dulwich cycling club and brixton cycling club and others would all meet at different cafes but we um we knew that we wanted a cafe on on that one of those three three roads on the crystal palace triangle and what's okay. what's kind of very apparent when you start looking for a property is just the price of them and we being kind of fairly sensible sensible people we we knew we were, didn't want to take on too much too soon we knew it was a risk leaving our job so we thought let's let's start with you know something simple and, and manageable and it just so happens that basically when you're looking for smaller shops they become more affordable so we uh we saw the one affordable shop that was available and yeah. fell in love with it um Amazing. it just so happens that it looks east and opposite the uh the cafe is is a road that that falls away so there are no buildings opposite our our cafe and it just so happens that in the winter months the sun rises right on the horizon so you get the most incredible sunrises through the winter and in a kind of season where normally you don't see the sun if you go into an office job like we get to see the sun rising every day and it was just you know when you're going to look at a property and you think god this is the time that you know the first cyclists will be rolling up in the winter and they'll they'll yeah. see that it's kind of the site just sold itself basically and it was it was small enough to keep us sensible and honest and it was it was affordable so we started those conversations with the agent and essentially once you've done that you're, you're in and you're on your way so, so you say that you're in and you're on your way what how where do you so obviously both of you experience in your own respective careers but mm. You mentioned Ben's come from hospitality, but where where do you even start? What, I mean, what are you you want to do? Provide brilliant coffee, but how do you go find that? What does it, you know? You want to find beers and food and stuff like that. Talk me through like how you get to opening. The, the beauty of being in Southeast London is that there are so many amazing small businesses doing amazing stuff that is really really very easy it was it was just a case of basically doing some googling doing some instagram following you know various tags and things on on instagram and before you know it you're kind of realizing that there's the most amazing artisanal bakery down in brixton there's the most amazing roastery just down the road in west norwood and now brixton there are the most amazing breweries all around southeast london there are the most amazing kombucha breweries in in south london and it, it it was really like that was one of the best best periods for for me and tom ben was still in france doing a a ski season so me and tom were were kind of just scouring the internet and instagram and finding all these amazing things and we're like right let's let's send them an email let's go and meet them and of course they'd they'd kind of hear what we had to say and then the the samples would come out and you'd be like this is unbelievable like you know i've just left the office doing a boring spreadsheet and now i'm meeting kind of crafts crafts people that are producing amazing stuff and we're sitting there sampling it for free and it was like this is just amazing you know it wasn't emails back and forth it was just going and meeting people and sitting down with them but the the roastery 
volcano that we get our coffee from was one of the big kind of believers in our overall vision so we like me and tom realized pretty early on and and ben realized pretty early on that actually like you know i had the healthy food aspect and tom was coming with like a a real love and understanding of craft beer but actually one of the the main kind of touch points for people regularly in their day is a coffee shop so we thought right let's have the core business as a coffee shop and then we'll layer on our additional bits on the side. You know, that's not the core business. If we sell some craft beer, if we sell some healthy food, great. But let's get the coffee bit right first. And as I say, like Volcano down the road believed in us and they had uh, they have two brands. They have Volcano Coffee and they have Assembly Coffee. Okay. And Assembly Coffee was, you know, just basically we, we put it on a, a pedestal because it was it was like the best of the best and it was reserved for the best cafes and they didn't give any training because the places that they supplied to were experienced baristas and knew everything anyway but volcano believed in us so much that they were like that we wanted to be our our first assembly account in south london and we were just like wow this is just this is really um gaining pace and we're really getting to work with some amazing people so that was kind of the the fun side of setting up the business was meeting all the suppliers the other side was working with solicitors on lease negotiations that seemed to just never end so we did the first viewing in january and i don't think we well we didn't sign the lease until june it was just constant back and forth Um, wow okay yeah and when did you open and what year was this this was 2017. Okay, so you really hit the that wave perfectly in terms of the all these businesses cropping up in southwest London. It was just perfect timing as well. Yeah, it was. Yeah, southeast London. It, it really was. We um, so yeah, so we we were kind of looking at the property in early January, early February. I think Tom handed his notice in to finish in April. I handed my notice in to finish in May. We definitely thought we would be in the place fitting it out when we handed in our notices. But yeah. we basically weren't in there till June. But in a way, that was a saving grace because it meant we just had two months of just rigorous planning where we literally just did everything in advance of getting the keys. So when we did get the keys, 9th of June, we were open and trading six or seven weeks later, having completely gutted the place. Amazing. Um, so we were just like on it. There wasn't a spare day in those seven weeks where we weren't moving forwards. That's great. And when you've got a bit of momentum, it's quite exciting. becomes quite exciting. So, so once you opened, did it quickly become, obviously it's a, it's it's well known as a hub for the community there locally now but on the cycling side it quickly attracted cyclists because of the the quality of the the coffee and obviously the healthy food options you're putting out as well i think that the cycling thing we were obviously cyclists and we were known to our brixton club mates as as cyclists but we weren't really known outside of that we we, you know kind of when you're in your own club you you know we were we were very much within that club yeah so so we knew the brixton folk and they were absolutely fantastic at not only coming when we were first open but honestly like the amount of people within Brixton that had a skill set or a profession that we pulled on to actually get ourselves open was just unbelievable like that's brilliant the, you know the club president did the dilapidation report and another chat was the architect another chat was the brand designer we borrowed tools from our club mates everything it was just like the club really really came together so they were there in the early days to to kind of support us and then as a a cycling brand called Albion that were very key to us becoming a, a cycling brand outside of Brixton Cycles Club. So Albion, um, they make really nice outdoor clothes for for cyclists, really kind of suited to the British the British outdoors. And they were kind of a you know much in a much similar vein to us. They liked they liked stuff done properly, proper proper craftspeople doing things well. If it cost a bit more, so be it. But let's work with the right suppliers that look after the people making the stuff and you know so on and so forth so they, they were 
a brand that kind of you know they're a well-followed brand and a well-known brand and then coming to us and saying you know do you want to work together should we stock do you want to stock our stuff was was great and then another london cycling brand was romance that, that did the same so we, we started oh, stocking cool. the romance stuff and then a really successful local race team called kibosh we started stocking their t-shirts and it just basically yeah and the kibosh started in the west country didn't they in the southwest yeah southwest yeah. Yeah, but they have yeah, a one of my one of my old teammates in Hong Kong, Paul Madden. Right. He's uh, he's familiar with those those guys. Yeah, I mean, so so just you know, people like that started getting us out of our own bubble, and basically, before you know it, we're sponsoring Alec Briggs Tekkers team that are you know doing great things in the the domestic race scene at the moment. Um, you know, and really changing the way that British domestic racing is is being viewed and uh, how it's being run and what people are getting out of it. So just you know right. one we're we're keen cyclists ourselves, and we always try to make cyclists feel very welcome we open at 7 a.m every day and probably as as you'll know that the general public don't really go to cafes between seven and nine on a on a weekend morning so that's purely just for the the cycling trade and you know that consistency of being open at 7 a.m every day irregardless of the weather just means that we we kind of kept seeing you know places coming back and the coffee was good and you know the cafe is not a cycling themed cafe so it wasn't kind of been rammed down their necks that oh this is you know where cyclists drink this is just a you know a specialty coffee coffee shop where you can get the best coffee and i think yeah. it was quite nice when everything had kind of gone cycling themed to just pull back and say no it's just a no, no, no. it's just a coffee shop run by run by cyclists so yes we cater for you and we're happy to see you and we've got some products on the shelves that you'll like but essentially we're just open and we're friendly so it, it just it really gained pace from from that and then crystal palace crits which is a very famous local race that happens in the park just kind of 400 meters from the cafe is always you know something that we were keen to support and we started providing bags of coffee beans for the winners of the the races uh, and started opening after the tuesday night races so it really became a kind of after party that prior to prior to us doing that kind of everyone had kind of gone to various different places around the area and then again you know you kind of stay in your, your club bubble whereas we were open and kind of getting all sorts of different people coming in so it was really nice to actually have a, a bit of a clubhouse for, for all for the, everyone all the yeah and it's i yeah, do feel like it's been been great for that and that's great and that's i mean obviously that's one of the reasons i set, set up unfound really although mm. we're not a physical premises it was more it was more to break down sort of club by club bubbles yeah. and, and yeah. see everyone as cyclists and connect their forth with everyone so yeah that's great to hear it's a shame the cycling hasn't been going on this summer at crystal palace but hopefully that gets back up and running yeah and, uh, i might even venture down myself to to come and see you so obviously tuesday nights you, you open late post crits on a, on, on, a, on a during the summer you stock beers you've got obviously local beers what, what have you got at the moment and what's um what's your personal favorite yes yeah, so we've we've got craft beers from uh from local breweries we also do natural wine as well so that was something that we didn't do when we first opened but again realizing that there are other aspects of stuff that are being made much better than the normal stuff uh you can get so we've, talk me through natural wine is that so, yes. just without chemicals or essentially yes yeah. so natural wine is just wine made in the the old-fashioned way so kind of wine from supermarkets these days it's kind of like you know the grapes are farmed with modern pharmacy practices you add chemicals it's definitely not organic and then you add a load of sulfur to kill off all the natural yeast and you buy in yeast from somewhere else in the world and say you buy that yeast from new zealand but your grapes are farmed in france you can basically make this 
you know, average French grape tastes like a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. And it's just, you know, it's kind of, it's a manufactured made for profit type thing. Whereas with natural wine, you farm the grapes organically, you leave the natural yeast on the grape, and then that natural yeast is what turns the grape into the wine. So if your if your grapes are in France and they've got the natural French yeast on them, and it's been a hot summer in 2016, well that's going to make your that's going to make your wine taste a certain way. Similarly, if you've, you're in a kind of wet bit of Spain and it was you know a, a very wet very wet winter and the natural yeast there was the natural yeast there, it's going to make that that wine tastes a different way so natural wine is just letting nature take its course basically and you basically just have a much broader spectrum of taste um a lot of people can think yeah. oh it's it's weird and i don't like it and i just wanted that traditional taste but actually when you open your eyes and think right this is just actually what wine from this region and of that it's vintage taste tastes like, like yeah it's like yeah. It's, it's wonderful so it's funny. So that's kind of a vicious circle, isn't it? I think obviously the sulfur thing probably came about because they wanted to standardise the taste, but then it kind of moved away from what the wine was meant to be about. Yeah, and of course, if your livelihood depends on your crop, you do yeah, not exactly. want to go that. So it's Lower all your I mean, risk, isn't it, yeah, in the business? It's understandable, but it's nice now that people are taking on the challenge, basically. And, and we're always, our, our aim is to get these good things on the high street. We have a big sticker on our, our window, which says good things. And that's, that's basically our mission. Like if somebody's doing something well, and it's a good thing, then that's what we'll, that's what we'll give place to on the high street. Because invariably people, a lot of people don't because, you know, money is key and profit is key. And, you know, people need to, to survive. But we wanted to, to basically have this low cost model where we put good things on the shelf and just see what happens yeah um, stick in, to your core beliefs as well really yeah which is in terms of the beer world there's a there's a new brewery that's just got underway called the drop project and they're putting out some some really really nice tasty beers at the moment so they again have, have launched probably in the last year and they're just oh, releasing okay. one beer at a time um oh, someone's mentioned them to me actually yeah will, will you make sure you send us all the links so i could put yeah. them in the show notes for yeah. people to find you'll do um so yeah great. so whenever i'm helping myself to uh to staff beers the uh the drop project ones are like gold dust but every now and again i do i do treat myself <laughs> which is, that's very which good. Is good very good and yeah, i suppose one interesting question i'd had for you would be what what's the hardest thing about running a, a business like this a cafe like this and and what's been the difference between the original dream and everyday reality i think one of the things that we got right when we started and i think this basically set us up for success was um we we went about it from trying to figure out what the lowest cost model was we really did challenge ourselves to to open with a you know what what could be a a nice attractive business with good products but basically without ever just doing stuff for the sake of it so like when we were opening we were very fortunate actually that Tom's dad is a very worldly wise man and, and knew about a scheme called the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, which is a government scheme that essentially is trying to support young businesses. And the outcome of that was if if a, you invest your money in a certain way in a in a new business, if that business spends a certain amount of its original startup capital or it generates a certain amount of revenue or it sticks around for long enough then the investors get half of their original investment back and that money is that money is paid from the year's previous income tax that you've paid so in my old job I was paying all that income tax and then i managed to get half of my original investment back which was awesome so yeah just, just things like that really 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 helped us get off on a 
a good footing in terms of cash flow. Similarly, because we were such a simple business, me, Tom and Ben just staffed it ourselves for the first two or three months. So we didn't pay ourselves, but it didn't mean that we could just clear off our our um, startup expenses, any debt that we did have. And to be honest, we didn't have much debt. What the money that we put in, we spent. And then we opened and then we didn't pay ourselves. So all that money just kind of went back up and the account went back up. And that's when we thought, right, there's a buffer in there. We can start paying ourselves a really, really, really modest wage because as you know, you can be happy with less. So that was it was that kind of approach basically that meant that we were doing things that kind of stayed true to our values we weren't making decisions based on what would make money we wanted to do stuff that we believed in we were happy to take really small wages we were happy to just do the hours ourselves and we we got ourselves set up on a really good tax relief government grant which meant that that first year it just wasn't wasn't stressful financially because people like the like the vision they were coming in and our our model was was really low cost so we just yeah we kind of just got the the balance right there but one of the, the biggest kind of challenges about you know what was reality versus how i thought it would be was was when in those early days it was like a, a saturday or a sunday morning and all of our friends would come in and they'd all be meeting up before their ride and we'd have to wave them off it's like <laughs> oh yeah right okay like you're now going for your you're ride riding. and actually we're now staying here and we're about to welcome you know the general oh, public because it was like 9 p.m and we yeah. just get hammered then on the, the espresso See, machine for for like eight hours and we were like what on earth have we what done have we done <laughs> that's but, the bit we enjoyed that's why yeah, we did it and, so um, has your cycling taken a big hit over the last few years it did initially but only for a few months because you then realized that actually like you know let's let's hire a, a barista and yeah in the early days we weren't busy enough in the in the mid in the midweek middays to need more than two people there as i say it was always a very simple operation like the most complex thing was making the coffee and managing the toaster at the same time so me and tom could you know one of us would open and then the barista would come in we'd then go for a ride together and then the other person would come back and close up so midweek we were you know riding five days a week on quiet roads but it just wasn't with other other people it wasn't with our mates yeah um, it was with each other but yeah, Saturday and Sunday, I'd be like, oh, actually, yeah, that long ride they're doing would be would be nice to go on. But that didn't happen. But we still stayed, me and Tom stayed race fit. Ben was back in France doing another winter. We stayed race fit. We enjoyed it and we took on more staff as revenue grew and all that sort of stuff. So me and Tom never ran. We never tried to take home more money. We just tried to give ourselves more time on the bike and take on take on staff. So we've we've ridden we've ridden plenty and we've we've raced plenty. So it's, it has been you know although we couldn't do those weekend rides and still like it was only really before lockdown where we were just starting to give ourselves some time off at the weekend. Of course, lockdowns changed everything now. But but yeah, it was essentially two and a half years before we were able to ride socially on a weekend. But we enjoyed the midweek you know miles on quieter roads and whatever so it was just yeah. a trade-off and, it was and you've trade-off. got something to show for it as well right you've got yeah. something to show for it which is again i think leaving the corporate world and 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 setting something up yourself you've got something tangible and to be proud of you built a brand and a reputation and we'll, we'll come on to lockdown in a minute but obviously you talk about your ethos and 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 suffocation the book you read you've, you've built such a strong reputation and brand now what what's next for the business are you sort of satisfied and just want to continue to improve or you think about growing what what's the plan that's one of those um things that kind of really it, it does it does challenge us because the the old fashioned us you know there was always a career ladder there was always a progression there was always something to to go on to you never you never stopped and enjoyed the moment and for kind of three and a half years we've 
each kind of kept each other in check. I think Tom probably keeps me more in check because you do have those moments where you think, oh, do you know what? That's that's a lovely little sight. That is, we could we could be in there, no problem, and you know we could we could be doing X, Y, and Z in terms of revenue. And then, well, especially as as you've you've done it once now, yeah. you kind of always yeah. want to leverage off that experience. Yeah. You've done it for the first time; it'll be a lot easier the second time. You'd hope. Yeah, but you then realise actually, do you know what? it would be easier, but we would still be doing more hours. We'd lose that time to ride. You wouldn't be you know kind of able to start thinking about having a weekend away and you think do you know what we're actually happy now so let's just just not not think about the future let's just kind of keep tom's mantras let's just you know do what we can do now as well as possible and if if we do that then stuff just stuff just happens so yeah we kind of just kind of try and work to that mantra and and honestly forborough itself is you know if we'd have had a, a second site or done something else in the early days the progress and the continual refinement would have would have slowed down on it for sure fact that it's been our sole focus and you know particularly tom who's who's really had his head in the game constantly it's just you know continued to be refined week after week after week and it, it it's kind of just you know continues to evolve and that's that's testament really to not not planning ahead and not not trying to grow too soon or too, quick. or too quickly yes it's a genuine labor of love which is is great it's um it's funny i've I've been very fortunate to do quite a bit of traveling and i think you know independent coffee shops like yourselves obviously there's a a number of cycling specific ones but but there are also a number like of coffee shops like yourselves that are non-specifically tailored to cycling that have become core to the cycling Mm. industry have you have you connected with some of these other independently owned cafe shops from around the world that have become core to sort of cycling communities i don't think we have no i mean there's no. we certainly follow them on instagram and, and are aware of what they're doing and you know get take ideas from them and likewise yeah. i hope they, they do the same with us but but no we've we've uh, we've stayed pretty pretty much contained within ourselves at the, at the moment um there is a nice kind of uh, general cafe um camaraderie that's kind of growing yeah, up in, like in brotherhood South, almost right? yeah yeah certainly in southeast london you know all the the coffee shops that the that the roastery that our roastery supplies to you know we see them regularly at events which is always good yeah. but no in terms of the, the the cycling cafes in other parts of the world we haven't so maybe that's something there uh, something we can do for sure to uh to help us grow yeah definitely go go global global i mean we have just released a um a new jersey uh a new cafe jersey and it's been one's been sent to australia one's going to um gosh where is it indonesia ben will be wearing his in france so yes there is a, a definitely a feeling of going global for the first time brilliant and obviously lockdown has been difficult for obviously yourselves as, as a cafe but also probably all your suppliers as well mm. talk, talk us through how you've managed that challenge or the suppliers you have managed that challenge and are things starting to open up for yourself for yourselves now yeah so um so lockdown really kind of hit us when cafes were told to close on march 21st there was always a bit of a gray area for us because it was cafes must close however can remain open for takeaway so it was kind of like hmm, do we do we close or do we just carry on as normal but nobody can sit in so we felt ourselves at the time that that the advice was to to try and just do what's right to to get over this coronavirus as quickly as possible um so yeah. we felt that staying open for takeaway wasn't right for us we've got a small shop and a narrow pavement so 
queuing and manoeuvring was never going to be easy. So we closed and all of the four roosters went on to furlough. I went on to furlough myself. I've got a, a young young boy at home and my wife was still working in a in an NHS hospital. So I was basically just oh, wow. full time from from then on. So you've been so, busier. <laughs> in, in, Harder a, work. In, in a different way for sure um, yeah i'm joking i'm joking but um but tom kind of took up the mantle and basically realized that you know the government grants and the, the job retention scheme meant that four boroughs should and we're, we're obviously still still working through it but we felt that we 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 should should survive so tom kind of selflessly thought right well let's let's if we're going to survive let's think about our suppliers and make sure that we can do stuff for them to help them survive because obviously a lot of a lot of their income well for some you know a lot of their income comes from us and for some it's just a just a small part but everybody was grateful for anything i think in those early days Um, and obviously our customers were 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 grateful for the kind of access to the kind of stuff that they'd become used to getting from us the the kind of healthier foods that it's not always easy to to come by like the, the kind of true live kimchi and kombucha and cashew cheese and natural wine you know all these types of things that people still wanted to get albeit safely yeah of course and did, did you find it was that the people just loved those products and wanted to get their hands on it or did you feel a real momentum from the local community in terms of wanting to support you as well or a bit of both a bit of both but honestly the, the feeling of support we felt when we were closing and closed in those early days was just unbelievable like we had um, a scheme where you could you could pay it forwards essentially you could buy yourself a, an, an eight coffee card um and then redeem it in the future when everything's back to normal and you know they were just flying out the door and people were literally buying up everything off the shelves just just to kind of help our, our cash flow basically and that's brilliant it was it was unbelievable like it really was you know people the conversations we were having would would kind of you know make you have a, a lump in your throat because people were just so genuinely concerned and just so wanting us to survive and 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 not suffer that they did some extraordinary things they really did so it was it was a, a strange time in that there was there was stress and there was disappointment that we were going to be closed but really like we were f- we were feeling and hearing more love than than we'd ever felt you know so it was um it was a bit of a bittersweet bittersweet time but once we did close tom set about setting up a, a collection service where you could order remotely over instagram or facebook and then he would bag the products up and you could just literally turn up at the door the bag would be there on a table you could take one foot inside the shop pick it up and and you're away so yeah, we, we felt that you know if people were still going to sainsbury's to buy stuff then if we can actually take a bit of stress off of those places and you know create instances where people weren't going to the supermarket because they could get their bread and their wine and their coffee from us and we could do it safely then then we should and yes obviously the suppliers appreciated the the order still coming in so it was good it was really good i think you're lucky to be in your part of well, london anyway generally a lot of global cities of a lot of sort of as you say high craft small entrepreneurial yeah. businesses cropping up but i think just more one, one of the things i really hope from the back end of lockdown is that when you have all that taken away that people really appreciate small businesses yeah. quality products and and you know and for the for the, the companies we've had on here that are travel orientated as well that the experience and, and 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 passion put into products is you can't put a price on that and we've just, i just think so many people got accustomed to getting everything for free you know mm-hmm. content for free yeah. online everything you know supermarkets pushing prices down but I hope this period is a reality check in terms of 
that extra bit you can't you can't put a monetary value on that you get from a local business or the little chat the interaction that you have i read a fascinating uh report i'll put it in the show notes because i can't remember the name now but often what 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 makes us happy in life and uh what we perceive to give us happiness there's there's a disconnect and even for it doesn't matter if you're extrovert or introvert but having a small conversation with say within a coffee shop with a barista is is one of the greatest ways to uh make you happier in life and uh so i I hope that there's a bit of a trend to supporting local and put out the back of this yeah i think that's that was one of the things that we we heard people saying was actually you know up until this point we kind of thought oh we're we're serving coffee and yes we've made some we've made some good relationships but actually people people did really value that conversation they were having when when they came in and you know it's people would ask me when when we first opened or even you know years later they'd say oh how's the coffee shop going have you got any regulars yet i'm thinking almost every person that comes to the door i kind of know you know so well that it's not like a customer we just have a conversation for you know however long and it's it's yeah it's like everyone is a irregular so i think lockdown kind of allowed people to 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 kind of remind us that actually we we do do some some amazing stuff there you know it's like very rarely does somebody come in and we don't have a relationship and as i say you can be up there midweek and for the first two hours you basically know everyone that comes through the door and it's just like it's just like a, a clubhouse for your friends it's it's a special place. Yeah, it becomes a community. And I just remember that that academic's name now. He's Nicholas Epley from the University of Chicago. He's a behavioral psychologist. And I'll put a, a link in the show notes. And he basically has done a lot of research into why talking to strangers will make you happier than you right. think, but also why it's so difficult. Mm. So there you go. That's why it's important to say hello to about, everyone. I was thinking about that before, actually, and about how um, caffeine is, has now got this performance element and how caffeine is now in gels and you know you can you can have a caffeine gel kind of anywhere you know any remote part or on your own before the race and all that sort of stuff and yeah you might get the performance gain but you know going and having that espresso before a race and yeah having a chat to the barista or bumping into another cyclist from another club and all of a sudden the kind of you know the espresso and the the art and the traditions of caffeine are kind of much more much more present and and alive as opposed to just you know having a, a caffeine gel which is just you know faceless as it were so, uh, synthetic as well. yeah so i just thought it was nice to remember that actually that when we talk about caffeine and its performance gains you can also get other gains from from caffeine as well if you actually go and have it as an espresso in a coffee shop exactly and are you an espresso man how do you take your coffee i've, I've basically cycled through everything having a coffee shop because you you drink so much but yeah i Broadly, I would say the go-to is uh, is an espresso, as you uh, as as any barista should say, because that's how you truly taste the the product. As soon as you add milk, you're you're losing so many subtleties of of the of the espresso that that you can't you can't possibly kind of gauge its gauge its quality. So yeah, espresso foremost filter. Do you limit filter. yourself to caffeine intake a day, or, or no, you sort of? I'm very very varied. I mean, whenever you're whenever you start a shift you have to dial the espresso machine in uh because basically it completely resets itself overnight and there's there's lots of variables to making a good balanced espresso so you have to get the machine warmed up and you have to set all your variables so you have to you have to taste the espresso in the morning and if it tastes good straight away you might you know have have one then when you first get there and then you might have another one mid-morning but if it's not tasting how you want it god you can you could just keep going and going and going and you know i'm a lot of people will have it and 
we'll, we'll spit it out and all that sort of stuff. But I find I can only really taste it if I actually if I actually drink, drink it. it. Yeah. So um, and, and can, for, for the layman's or for the for the amateur enthusiasts amongst us at home, you talk about dialing in the espresso. I'm here with my Sage machine at home. Yeah. Talk us through what you're looking for or from a taste perspective or what is it that you're looking for? So ultimately, I think regardless of the variables and the numbers you put in, you're looking for a, a tasty espresso. Uh, however, you, however you do that is, is completely open. Um, but some of the, the key principles are if your espresso is tasting bitter, more bitter than you want, that's probably a good indicator that the the time the coffee has been extracting, the extraction time, the, the time that the actual coffee has been coming in through the machine into the cup is too long. And too if long. That's the draw, right? Yeah, that's 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 the extraction. Yeah, that's and right, then yeah. if if that extraction time is too short, then your espresso may well taste sour. So have that bit of you know that bit of bite and that bit of fizz. And really, what you're after is an extraction time that gets you a balanced espresso so it's it's not sour but there's a there's a nice bit of acidity there that you know kind of doesn't you know you don't want a, a dry mouth after your espresso you want to be kind of you want that acidity to kind of keep your mouth moist at the same time you want a, a strong rich coffee taste and you want that to kind of last so you do need an element of it being you know having some of that some of that and you dial and and you tend to dial that in daily and is that kind of how it's tasting on the day or are you kind of a stopwatch no yeah it's definitely taste so with with the coffee machine at the the cafe basically the the beans that that we buy and and like we we outsource basically the quality of the bean to the roastery they're the real experts in sourcing and roasting that's not what we do as baristas we we have to turn their excellent product into a cup of coffee and we have to do that as well as we can but -hmm. the farming and the sourcing and the roasting is all taken care of by um assembly which are you know the absolute best in in the world basically um where do their beans come from ed all over all over so they they just have a you know a team of people that will source the best best beans globally so yeah brazil colombia asia africa all over all over and because assembly only buy from small small plots where they can guarantee that everyone's looked after you know they, they don't buy huge bulk so the con- the coffees are constantly changing but yeah does it, that's interesting does that change does that challenge you then in terms of are you having to yeah. constantly alter your grind or alter your drawer and stuff like that or is yeah. it pretty yeah so so some roasteries may send out every time they have a new bean they will send that to the cafe with a recipe they will say right the, the recipe that we've tried and tested in the roastery and we think you should all use is put 18 grams of ground coffee into the basket you want that 18 grams to turn into 36 grams of coffee in the cup and you want that to take 35 seconds and they will come with a recipe and then essentially wow. you just have to set your machine up to it, you can either have a, a manual machine where you have to basically stop it you have to set the grind size so that after 35 seconds you have 36 grams in the cup yeah. but that's obviously very involving and in a, a modern cafe where you're getting through lots of espresso that's super time consuming and it's not easy yeah. to manage so our coffee machine you can essentially preset the the yield that you're going to get so if i put in 18 grams of coffee it will give me a two to one ratio so it will give me 36 grams of coffee in the cup if i put in 20 grams of espresso it will give me 40 grams so that's kind of a, a typical specialty coffee 
yield is that two to one you can play around with yield but kind of modern day specialty coffee a typical yield is in that kind of two to one space so the variables that we change in our coffee are the amount of dry grounds that we put in the basket and how long it takes to produce that yield and the time it takes to produce the yield is is determined by the size of the grind if you have a coarse grind there's less resistance the water runs through quicker if you have a fine grind there's more resistance it takes longer to come through so the extraction is longer and the longer the the longer the time that the water is in contact with the coffee the more flavor and the more caffeine you're going to draw out of the coffee bean or of the coffee grounds oh interesting so yeah interesting. so long long extraction times like you have with cafetiers and v60s they will have more coffee in than an espresso for the same for the same dose basically for the same amount of dry coffee because it's a longer extraction ah so, and 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 higher higher caffeination as well higher caffeination yeah yeah so um so yeah in, in the morning <laughs> in the morning when we go in we'll we'll taste a coffee based on yesterday's recipe and then we'll have to think actually do we want to add more coffee into the basket or less and then what's the grind size like is it is it pulling too long is it pulling too short and basically yeah. you know some key indicators will make you basically think oh i'll add a bit more coffee to this to this recipe and i'll i'll make it a bit coarser so that it's you know a bigger dose but it it runs slightly shorter and it's essentially there's what we learned i mean me and tom and ben we basically came at it from a scientific point of view we thought right stopwatch scales recipe formula and then you actually figure out that it's just so many variables like the weather changes it so honestly it's just it's it's not a science it's an art and it's it's all yeah. down to, it's all down to what you taste and so what the hum- humidity will change it will it in yeah the, in the exactly weather. yeah 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 and (laughs) just just the length of time that the grinder's been on because the grinder heats up you know that will change it so you might come in and and dial in at 6 30 and then by 7 30 when everything's warmed up it's it's completely completely different and that's one of the things that we at four boroughs kind of do is kind of when we were first starting up it seemed like you know dialing in was something that you did once at the start of the day and then you didn't touch it now that's very easy to manage because it means whoever comes in whatever happens you just leave it and that's that's it for the day but that can mean that by 11 o'clock two o'clock three o'clock if somebody comes in and orders an espresso might not taste very good whereas as at four boroughs in our kind of quest for perfection or excellence we're just you know we're just constantly tasting and tweaking and changing and yet harder to manage but it's kind of the outcome is the all important really so it's uh, it's worth doing that's amazing that's been fascinating and Mm -hmm. um i was just going to say with your sage machine at home i mean it's not easy as a as a home barista on a home machine to uh to do to do what we do and to get a balanced espresso because you've bought your you've bought your coffee beans you've paid you know a good amount of money for them you're not going to taste something and, and chuck it away and start again you basically you know you, you, you <laughs> basically want to make a coffee and you want to drink it whereas at the cafe if we taste four and throw four away it's it, it matters Part very it. little so the home it's kind of different isn't it? i think i have but having the home coffee machine, I think, makes you appreciate cafes more. It doesn't stop me going getting coffee from a coffee machine. I think it makes you appreciate it a little bit more. And it's nice to have better coffee at home when you are, particularly in lockdown, it's been a lifesaver. And if, if the first one's not great, I, I tend to give that to the wife. So hopefully she won't listen to this and uh, try again. But um, do, do you recycle your, your coffee grounds? What do you do with the coffee grounds? Yes. So... Um... That was another element of the cafe, basically, that we just wanted to be really on was was waste management. So we found, so everything basically at the cafe, nothing goes to landfill, either gets incinerated or gets gets recycled. And the coffee grounds, actually, they get picked up by our 
waste collector first mile and they get taken to a company called biobean and biobean turn waste coffee into coffee logs for multi-fuel um stone yeah Yeah, excellent. uh, Will you send me that link as well? um, I have to say, I've been using my coffee grounds on the lawn, Mm. and it's great as a fertilizer. And slug repellent, actually. Very good for slugs or keeping slugs away. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. That's great. We've got lots of links I need to get from you to put in the show notes, and it's all right if we will put your Instagram on there. If anyone's got any questions around their home brewing as well, if you're happy to take those, do, do drop Ed a line. And if you're in London, make sure you get down to Four Boroughs to say hello. Do you, have we got any visibility on when you'll be opening up more conclusively? Sorry, yes. Yeah, so, um, so we're now open Tuesday to Saturday, nine till one. Yeah. For takeaway coffee yeah. on Sundays, it's ten till one. But it's just um, everyone's still furloughed apart from Tom because furlough scheme still isn't flexible. So we can't kind of we can't kind of make that jump yet. Yeah. So it's just Tom on his own. So if the queue appears to be big, then just bear with him but he's he's fast and he's efficient so it does move yeah. but yes he's he's up there six days a week now and tom has also got some really good uh, videos on our instagram page for home brewing so if you make v60s or cafetiers at home then there's definitely some good tutorials on there that you can you can watch and that answers Superb. pretty much all your questions on homebrewing i'd imagine excellent all right well we'll definitely check those out and if uh, when things open up more conclusively we'll do take a trip down there and if you're living abroad and find yourself traveling again whenever that is and you're in london make sure you get down to four boroughs they really are, have become a, a core linchpin part of the uh, london cycling community and they will welcome you with top quality food and amazing coffee by the sounds of things Ed, thanks so much for joining us. Do you, any more questions or anything else you wanted to bring up or add? Or No, I think that's uh, that's good for me. I've, I've enjoyed that, Jules. Thank you very much. We've covered a lot. It's been really, really interesting. I think, firstly, incredibly inspiring for a lot of people that are stuck in the corporate on the corporate treadmill uh, just sort of having that conviction to to follow what you believe in uh, we'll put those books in the show notes as well but congratulations with the business i hope you are all okay getting through the lockdown situation and let's hope everyone supports local businesses communities and produce as we get out the other side of this uh, crazy time yeah thanks jules thanks for taking the time ed thanks a lot good to speak to you and we'll get on the pedal soon thanks for listening please subscribe to the podcast and more importantly don't forget to download the unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub we'll see you on there